Good morning and happy Thursday. Today is October the 19th. I'm your host, Ram Christopher. And I'm Kyle Christopher. And this is Everything's Political. In international news today, Egypt and other Arab nations are hesitant to take in Palestinian refugees. And in national news, on the Hill, Jim Jordan lost for a second time in his bid to become House Speaker. Also from D.C., an Illinois congressman rips Texas Governor Jim Abbott. And in election 2024 coverage, RFK Jr. comes out in support of reparations. Also, recent poll results are saying that RFK Jr.'s independent bid could seriously affect Trump's chances of victory in 2024. And in local news, in Midtown Manhattan, a woman was critically injured yesterday around noon after being pushed into a moving train. Next, we take a look at the hottest race happening this November. Here's looking at you, Bay Ridge. And of course, we have our WTF story, but let's go ahead and swing it on over to Egypt. Why Egypt and other Arab nations are hesitant to take in Palestinian refugees. As desperate Palestinians in sealed off Gaza try to find refuge under Israel's relentless bombardment and retaliation for Hamas' brutal October 7th attack, some ask why neighboring Egypt and Jordan don't take them in. The two countries, which flank Israel on opposite sides and share borders with Gaza and the occupied West Bank, respectively, have replied with a staunch refusal. Jordan already has a large Palestinian population. Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi made his toughest remarks yet on Wednesday, saying the, con- cur- the current war was not just aimed at fighting Hamas, which rules the Gaza Strip, but also an attempt to push the civilian inhabitants to migrate to Egypt. He warned this, would cr- this could wreck peace in the region. Jordan's King Abdullah II gave a similar message a day earlier saying no refugees in Jordan, no refugees in Egypt. Their refusal is rooted in fear that Israel wants to force a permanent expulsion of Palestinians into their countries and nullify Palestinian demands for statehood. El-Sisi also said a mass exodus would risk bringing militants into Egypt's Sinai Peninsula, from where they might launch attacks on Israel, endangering the two countries' 40-year-old peace treaty. Uh, it makes some sense to me, but, I mean, wouldn't you be able to tell the difference between Palestine and Egypt if the, you know, with who's attacking who? Or is it that you can't tell the difference? And in that case, how, I mean, that question that comes from this is like, for me, is how would you be able to identify Hamas from Islamic jihadist or Islamic jihad if we can't tell Palestinian from Egyptian is which is the fear that they're saying yeah well going back to the hospital bombing obviously yeah I think that it that that is also I think what they're really trying to say is look y'all are lying already <laughs> about what is happening over there you blew up a, a hospital and you want to blame it on Hamas and then you have every right in doing so. And already we've seen what has happened with the Israel state where they continue to push and push and push for further ex- expansion of their land and their territory. So the fear, I would say, with Jordan in in Egypt is real. It's not that they don't want to take in their brothers and sisters. The fact of the matter is, is why should those people have to leave their land? They want statehood not to become migrants and to have to leave their homeland they were there before israel so the thought would be that america as an ally to israel would say hey you guys have a lot of humanitarian issues you've been having these people in oppression for over 75 years so the realistic thing to do would be to come to the table to create either a single state solution or a two-state solution where Palestinians are able to be true citizens of either a one-state solution or a two-state solution, but not treated like prisoners in an open-air prison in Gaza. And so what I think that the uh, president or the leaders of these two nations are saying is like, look, 
for one, one, we don't want to get caught up in the in in the mayhem and we don't want to be blamed in case you do get a terrorist attack because like maybe those people will want to go back home because the thought of it is is if you make these people force these people off their land, they're going to want to fight back to get back their land. And so you're going to see terrorist attacks and probably more terrorist attacks. But then you're going to come down and you're going to be sending rockets and and all kinds of bombs that you do if in Israel you're going to be sending those over to Egypt and tearing up their countries and into Jordan and tearing up those countries and killing innocent people who have nothing to do with it. Where this is a matter of of diplomacy, where diplomacy should come in. And instead of people continuing to bomb people for no reason like Israel has been doing, you need to come to the table and, t- and treat these people like people and and come to a, a, a solution where everybody can coexist instead of it just being a state only for Jews or, you know, whatever. Because if other places have Jewish people and Christians and Muslims alike, why is Israel, who is a strong ally of America, not able to have a statehood that includes all types of people, particularly the Palestinian people who were already there in the area before they ever came in to colonize? Or to occupy, rather. I don't have, uh, you know, I, I, I'm still stuck on what I was saying earlier. And I, I can't agree more with you uh, as far as what you're saying. I definitely believe that Egypt and Jordan risk a, a great amount by taking on the Palestinians. And that their countries may be under siege as well very shortly. And America will just stand idly by and not do anything and say, well, you have a right to your defense. And it's like, how far will this go? Is the plan to wipe all of the Middle East off the map? Or what? I mean, what's the solution here? Are you trying to be the only one in the sea there? Are you only trying to be the only fish in the sea, Israel? Because these places existed far beyond or far longer than you ever were in the area. So I guess the point, what, what point were you trying to make as far as them looking alike or being like they're Arabs, but I don't know. Right. So it's that, like, if you can't tell the difference, if, if the Jordanian or the Egyptian uh, president can't tell the difference between a Palestinian and an Egyptian or, or believes that the opposite opposing forces can't tell the difference or refuse to tell the difference. How can, how can they then delineate between Islamic Jihad and Hamas. Who can't? Israel. Because Israel, what, be- is, Israel is saying that they know that the bombing happened because Islamic Jihad had a, a missile, a, a rocket malfunction, right? So they were able to pinpoint which group. And But here we see that the Egyptian president is saying he doesn't believe they can tell the depart- different groups, much less different ethnicities, right? Or different nationalities. That's because they don't want to tell the difference. They've lumped all Arabs together, right? I think anybody that's brown or black has been lumped together in the state of the other. I think everybody that is not Jewish is being considered the other and is all actually the enemy if you're not America, right? For the most part. And even if you're a black person going there as an American and you're not with some group that's rehearsed, You'll also be treated as if you're some kind of terrorist, even your white friend that went there who is of Jewish heritage had the experience. So, I mean, everybody is treated as the other. They're acting like there's some like kumbaya place, but it's like the whole goal is to, um, to, I guess, flex some type of superiority over all the other people that are in the region and also in the world. And it's very, um, it's very off-putting and in a way it's like in it's not how I would imagine any ally of America should go about conducting themselves but I agree that the way that they are I don't think that they know the difference between one Arab to the other I think that they just are like you know they're all Arabs and they're all evil and I think that that's kind of the rhetoric that they've put out is like they're all terrorists I mean that's That's the way they've treated the Palestinians that's what I was touching on so it's like if everybody is just one thing, right, or everybody's looked at as one thing, how are you able to tell apart the difference? Because, you know, not to – it happens so often, right, with Asian people in America, right? Many Americans can't tell the difference between a Korean or a Japanese or a Chinese person. I can, but I don't – Right, and I, I believe that I – I care. Right, I, I've, I've, <laughs> had, I've had Korean friends, I've had Chinese friends, I've not had Japanese friends, but I know a couple of Japanese people. Um, I've had all three. So. so, yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things where if you put, say, all, all three look the same, they act the same. 
you know, it kind of like you don't care. And in this sense, if they're doing this to Arab people, right, if they are living in close proximity to so many Arab people and they can't tell the difference between them, how can they tell the difference between fighters from one sect to the one, one, one group to the other, especially if it's grainy video late at night, right? It's kind of like one of those Borat movies or something. One of the ones where he's like making fun of Israel or whatever. And he's like, all they're all Arab. They're all terrorists, all terrorists. And that's actually how you see their like the things that they're talking about and the people that are their their mouthpiece, their their dogs, their dogs with a bone like Richie Torres, um, who goes on to act like every single person in Palestine is somehow a Hamas operative or something, you know, like those little children in diapers. They're Hamas. Like, come on. <laughs> right, right. And, and that, that's the other problem, too, is, like, if we can't delineate between or, or, or pull out that, hey, these are children and women and these are men, and then you say, well, they're hiding amongst them. Obviously, there's something you could do beyond just bombing everybody to, to fix that problem. You can, you know, do things to bring them out and other, other than just uh, bombing everybody. And that doesn't – it's not just – it's not a good look. It's not playing well on the international stages, I think – Many people believe it to be um, that are in that bubble. And it's a sad thing because I'm, you know, for the most part, part of that bubble online that is producing a lot of this propaganda. But I've definitely taken a step back because it's hard to believe that people can be so callous. And if you're not approaching it from a moderate standpoint, I think the only other ground you have is as, you know, someone that's supporting Palestine. And that's something that's hard for me to say because. Not that I disagree with Palestine, with with the Palestinians' right to live or have their land, but typically Palestine has been aligned with our far left, and or, or Palestinian rights have been aligned with our far left, and it's a, a massive change for you as well, Romero, because you don't normally line up with the far left on anything. I don't line up with the far left pretty much on anything. That's true, but when it comes to like international relationships and it comes to colonizing areas that you don't belong in and being a part of genocide, I cannot <laughs> be conservative or for uh, something so completely repugnant as what we're seeing play before our very eyes because of an allyship that maybe has gone sour. I mean, it maybe it's like that spoiled milk in the back of your fridge <laughs> to use one of your like analogies. This relationship has soured and it is producing some kind of vile odor that is just spreading through the house right now. And we need to just throw that into the garbage. We need to make sure we throw that garbage, put it out to the curb and make sure that truck comes and picks it up because it's even making the outside of the house stink. That's how bad this relationship is talking about stinking it up jim jordan loses second vote for house speaker amid steep gop opposition republican representative jim jordan again failed to win the house speaker's gavel and a second vote on wednesday faring worse than he did during the first round of voting one day earlier the loss raises serious questions over whether the ohio republican has a viable path forward as he confronts steep opposition and the House remains in a state of paralysis. Despite the defeat, Jordan has vowed to stay in the race. The House is expected to hold a third speaker vote on Thursday at noon. Without a speaker, the chamber is effectively frozen, a precarious position that comes amid conflict abroad and a potential government shutdown next month. The conservative Republican struggle to gain traction has also highlighted the limits of Donald Trump's influence in the speaker's race after the former president endorsed Jordan. You know what? <laughs> I'm actually, like, these people, I, I, it's, it's baffling to me that you see, what, 20, 22 people from the GOP voting against Jim Jordan? Like, you guys, you just, you just ousted your speaker. If you don't pull it together, what does that mean for you? Like, truly, do, do you want no government to run at all? Do you want us to have an ineffective government overall? We, you're, you're, you're concerned over the borders, you say. You're concerned about inflation. You're concerned about the economy. You're concerned about the American people putting food on their table. But here you are about to create a shutdown. Because all you have to do is your job and elect your freaking GOP person into the speakership because there's got to be somebody and if this isn't the guy you want then how about you nominate the person that you do want yeah how is it that you don't have a person out of your body that you want to nominate there are there is talk that there are other people that are going to nominate 
Um, one of the persons that has been mentioned is former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. How do you feel about that? <laughs> oh, my God. Talk about a waste of tax dollars. Talk about a waste of the people's time. These clowns on both the GOP and the Democratic side are nothing but a simple waste of our time. What is it that's going to now keep the, the Democrats from ousting him again? If we reelect McCarthy, what is going to keep them from ousting him? I don't think anything um, protects McCarthy, and I don't. Um, I, I I happened to come across an interview. Uh, I forgot which representative was being interviewed, but he was one of the people that did not support um, Jim Jordan during their initial uh, interparty vote. Mm-hmm. But then he flipped over and did vote for Jim Jordan, but then also said, because he, he he's on the same page as you, saying, well, listen, we already nominated him, and typically the process is if we nominate him, he gets the votes. That's, that's just how we do business. But obviously that's not what's happening. There's 20 people, now 22, <laughs> that are holding out. And the other part of it is that he one of, he mentioned a couple other names, but the name that stood out was that, was Kevin McCarthy, and he said that he wanted actually for the party to redo the nomination process to start with a clean slate so Jim Jordan should be out as far as candidacy goes. But that's where it stands right now, at least, at least what I've been listening to and hearing. Who wants to redo it? McCarthy wants to redo it or who? Well, it was that that particular congressman said that they should start with a clean slate because obviously Jim Jordan hasn't doesn't have it. And he was saying that before the mm. vote had concluded – Oh, wow. So before the second one came in, so it was just like, okay, well, like, he knows something. So he had probably already heard about the two that were flipping. Right. Well, that's actually four that flipped because two that were in the no vote voted for for for, for uh, Jim Jordan. And then two four actually defected to make for a net gain of two plus on the no Jim Jordan to make it 22 in that, in that group. Yeah, this is... They're, they're. I don't think they understand um, what their job is actually at this point. And if they're following, is Gates a naysayer or is he for this? I, ha, I like. Where is he playing into all of this? Do you know. Surprisingly, no one seems to be able to get get him in front of a, a, <laughs> a, camera. a camera at this point because obviously he's shamed. Mm, yeah, he should be ashamed because this is all his his doing. And is like you wanted to what kick up mud on one of your colleagues, and you had no better alternative really to put there anyway. What was your what was your tactic there? Were you trying to get the Dems in as speaker? Like what was the plan there? It's like we're gonna chastise you, and then we still have no solution, and we keep the government. And you might end up still being speaker again. Yeah, that's really ridiculous. All right, yeah, it's a lot of muckety muck, and here's some more muckety muck for you. Illinois congressman rips Texas governor for man-made crisis amid migrant bus influx in Chicago. As Democratic cities deal with a flood of migrants, thanks to Republican Greg Abbott's Operation Lone Star busing program, one Democratic congressman is calling for a Justice Department probe of the Texas governor. On Wednesday came a new effort to stop Texas governor Greg Abbott from busing migrants and asylum seekers to sanctuary cities. Congressman Jonathan Jackson, who represents Chicago's South Side, wants the Justice Department and Homeland Security to investigate what he calls alien smuggling, being carried out under the direction of Governor Abbott. Republican Governor Abbott in Texas, who is politically exploiting and commercially manipulating this vulnerable population, Jackson said, he's sending these asylum seekers outside of the normal immigration processing channel. In a letter to the Attorney General and Secretary of Homeland Security, Jackson writes, simply put, the migrant crisis in Chicago and other Democratic-led sanctuary cities is a man-made crisis manufactured by the illegal actions of Governor Abbott. He continues, Governor Abbott's actions are illegal, xenophobic, inhumane, and un-American. He's committing the federal offense of alien smuggling, domestic transporting, harboring, conspiracy, aiding, and abiding, what Jackson said, we simply have no more shelters. For more than a year and a half, Governor Abbott has bussed approximately 50,000 migrants to Democratic cities across America. Abbott said he started the program to alter the debate over immigration, and it has. Caring for new arrivals has strained resources in cities like Chicago and New York, and it's exposed divisions, and it's exposed divisions among Democrats on immigration. 
Democrats say this is this was Abbott's plan all along. Wow. I think this guy is out of his mind because I think you can't really say anything about Abbott without saying something about Biden first. Yeah, because Biden said we have to accept everybody and he's doing what he said. And you are sanctuary cities like whether or not you're Democrat or not. If a Republican uh, mayor had said, hey, I'm a sanctuary city, they would be getting it, too. Like the whole idea is that you've opened the borders up for everyone to come in for asylum, specifically the Venezuelan Venezuelan population. And and with that. You know, you need to be turning your attention to the Fed. It's not a Republican versus Democrat thing, right? This is an American crisis, um, and Abbott has been taking on, and I'll, I'll continue to say this, he's been taking on a majority of the, um, he's been taking on a majority of the issues uh, with the migrant crisis, because we, we know our border towns in Texas are at capacity. Like there's millions and he's getting millions of people and you're getting like some of the, you know, overrun there. So it's like, okay, but your cities, you know, you already have large populations, so you feel overwhelmed, but maybe you should change your sanctuary city policies and then you won't continue to get more and more people. But right now, with the sanctuary cities as, as they are, I think that you're going to continue in receiving some of the bus loads. But that's just your share of the, of the load. That's just what it is. You're not going to say to Republican uh, Governor Abbott, oh, my God, you have to take on all these things. Like, the sanctuary city that is in Texas wasn't allowed to even be a sanctuary city because it's not part of their state mandate. Their state constitution. Their state constitution, yeah, rather. Um, and so what you're doing is based off of your state's constitution and what you guys have allowed within your state. So he's within his rights to bust to you, I, I would say. And they have to go somewhere, so where's your humanity? I think that Abbott is not within his rights, um, but that is, you know, the difference between de facto and de jure. But given the situation that Biden has done nothing, because ultimately these people should never come in to, you know, use this word. And I use it lightly because because I I don't have a better word. But well, actually, I do have a better word. They shouldn't come under Jim, Jim Abbott's jurisdiction. Right. They shouldn't come under his jurisdiction. He should never be able to have access to these migrants because they should be intercepted by border patrol and then put into a border patrol facility or border patrol camp and not rather not allowed to continue on into Texas. That's how they come under the purview of Texas, right? They become under the the jurisdiction of Texas is that Biden's is unable to acquit customs and border patrol. And it's not that he's unable to equip. He he doesn't want the political fallout within his party for having done so. Because people like AOC would go crazy, and, and that's who he's so afraid of, right? Because he's so afraid of, of, of the, the progressives that have infiltrated him, infiltrated his White House, and he's un, unable to tell them, listen, this is what we have to do. So I have to cut in there and just say one thing. I don't think that he's afraid of the progressives, because if he was, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing with Israel. What he's he's afraid I think he of. has no skin in the game with 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 the migration thing, and he thinks that you know the the math that's coming out for them is that if we do eight things progressive and don't do this one thing progressive, we can still ride out for our one major cause, and they're showing with that one major cause, the cause that they won't break from is you know is Israel. Like even even Biden has said the word violence interrupters, which to me is mind blowing, but you know that. It's not crime. It's not drugs. It's not. It's not. You know anything that do with the the moral compass or moral uh, bearings of America. It has simply to do with Israel as the one topic that he won't bend or sway with. Okay, but so you would say even though Biden hasn't done anything with the Fed in order to help the state of Texas with the receiving of these uh, migrants that he isn't within his rights to act as according to the way that he's acted because I would say that he is. Well, well, I, that's what I was saying. It was a de facto and de jure issue where the law says that... I just wanted you to get that, into that. That it shouldn't, it shouldn't be... It, it, it wouldn't be... Well, de facto is the fact of, right? And... 
in that sense, you know, what what is and what it and, and what 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 is written and what is is another way to think of it. Um, so you know, in New York, for the period leading up to give a good easy analogy, the period leading up to legalization of marijuana, it was already, you know, de facto, it was a de facto. Uh, legal legalization already, right? There wasn't anyone really stopping. At least for the common user, it wasn't uh, uh, anyone stopping you. But the de, uh, de jour was. That's why I'm confused. I don't know. I thought I thought de facto was written and in- the difference between de facto and de jour, and it's pretty simple. Um, de facto is 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 that it, it's what is, and de jour is the law itself. Uh, jour, j, j, uh, the French word. Latin word rather, J U R E, uh, would would uh, remind you of the word jury, um, jurisdiction. Um, those all share the same root, so you know that has to do with the law versus, um, you know, de facto is the fact of the matter, the reality. Um, so, so his de facto laws was coming right. In. So d- d- Jim Abbott is de facto the Customs and Border Control. Uh, lead in Texas because Biden has not kept up with the de jour uh, federal guidelines of, you know, what we should do with these migrants that are coming in at record rates. So really, he shouldn't be taking the blame is what it is. And maybe Mr. Jackson should be pointing this towards the head of the party, which is Biden. Definitely. But I think that he's playing nice. Uh yeah, but he's playing more politics instead of actually getting to the root. And the root of the problem is, and it's like his constituents are suffering because of who the president is, not who the governor of Texas is. And that's what I would have to well, say. Well, yeah, it's he's like, definitely helping with the narrative spin for for Joe Biden, and he's definitely helping those yeah. those lines. But I, I'm I based on the accusations that he's made and what and the action that he's calling for, I'm not sure if he actually understands the issue. Yeah, I don't think he understands the issue either. Because that, that, that's the thing that you have to wonder when he's talking about an investigation, when the fact of the matter no is like what, what, what we just went over is the reason why, you know, things are the way they are. It's not like, you know, Jim Abbott has like a gun to the neck, like rolls up in his wheelchair, like Professor X, like, you know, in a, a gliding wheelchair and puts a like laser gun to the neck of a, a custom and border patrol agent as they're like intercepting migrants and then says hey uh hand them over right now i gotta put them on a bus to chicago because i've been really dreaming about messing up that city and the fifty thousand that he's bust and this is like a number that you definitely made i know it's a great a great a great image right um so the thing that you really impressed upon me and like we've really talked about a lot is that the it's seven million people have come across possibly even eight million at this point in time and We've they they sent fifty thousand to Chicago, two hundred thousand to New York. It's small numbers compared right. to what's it's, in Texas. It's not even ten percent of what what's been sent out. So, you know, this is Jim Jordan's. I mean, Jim Jordan. Sorry, Jim Abbott's way of asking for help because the Fed is ignoring him too. You know. Yeah, and y'all are in it together, and y'all have y'all's constituents to worry about. Where Biden is, you know, in Israel trying to, you know, get down on his knees to to kiss Bibby's buttocks. But here we are dealing with our crisis in our own country, and maybe don't sling the mud just because he's a Republican. Sling it at your own president. Well, I mean, there's nothing else that he can do, I think, but let's shift gears. I think he could, but I think a lot of people are very scared of, you know, going against party line, and that, again, is a problem because that's not democracy. Mm -hmm. You should be able to call out your own party, too. Right. All right, go ahead. Shifting gears to election 2024. Independent presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. supports issuing reparations to the black community, making him the most prominent 2024 candidate to favor the controversial policy meant to atone for slavery and legal segregation. President Biden has largely been silent on the issue, leading to frustration among the far left. Kennedy, who ditched his Democratic primary challenge to Biden earlier this month, has spoken out in favor of issuing federal dollars to rebuild black infrastructure like banks and businesses, and as well as direct redress payments or tax credits rather than no-string cash giveaways. Communities that weren't specifically targeted for destruction need to be specifically targeted for repair, he states on his campaign website. During Jim Crow, black banks, businesses, hospitals, schools, and farms were targeted for destruction. 
Racists knew that without these, the black community had no chance of building wealth. We must set federal dollars aside to rebuild black infrastructure. What do you think? Um, I think it's a big fat nothing burger and black people do not listen to him. It's not something that will ever happen. It will never come to pass the same way, you know, Biden's student loan forgiveness and all that stuff never comes to pass. You don't want to be the welfare state like Israel. Um, we don't need that. It, it, and the thing of it is, if you want to make it where that I don't have to pay taxes, sure. Right, I would he be, did say tax credits. Yeah, I saw the tax credits, but I, I, that's probably going to be one of the things that is last pushed because they're talking about building black infrastructure. I don't buy it. If you want to roll out something that is doable, it's just say give me an income tax break for, you know, this designated amount of time, that's the best look for anybody that I think is black in the country because if we don't have to pay taxes on our income, then we would have a leg up. It'll be very similar to what happens with Native Americans in the country. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's a that would be a big help and a big, you know, big a, a good place to land. But as far as, like, giving us anything, don't do that. We don't want to be public enemy number one. We're not going to be able to cling to victimhood like some other people are. So I'd rather not. You know, people will be like, oh, we went bankrupt because we gave the, you know, the, the descendants of slaves something. No one cares about black people. They haven't cared about black people. It's just a fact of life. You know, like they'll do like these fake little nods to like say, hey, you, yeah, we're, we're your friend. We're your buddy. But it's like no one really cares. No one really cares. It's like there's only one group. There's only room for one group of victims in this world, and we already know who they are. So black people, don't fall for this. Don't go vote for this guy because it'll be a waste of a vote. I think you, you know, it's just going to help Joe Biden beat Donald Trump. If you don't want to vote for Donald Trump, that's fine. I would suggest voting for someone else, a third-party candidate, altogether that isn't RFK Jr. Because he just right here, this right here is just a rollout to kind of help Biden with his failings with the black community because his stance on Palestine has definitely sent him over the rails with the black community, the black populations, and a lot of the people of color with dealing with Hispanics and other Native Americans who would have normally voted for him. This is where he is uh, you know, f failing right now, and he doesn't care to make it up because he's, again, on his knees for Israel. So this guy, RFK Jr., he's basically cut a deal. He's working with Biden, and they're trying to do anything possible so that he can, can Biden can stay on his knees for Israel and at the same time still win the presidency over Trump. And I just would say— Do you know that in 2020 Trump was for reparations? No, I didn't know that. So I don't think it's actually too far off. And um, I think that uh, I don't know if I necessarily agree that Biden and RFK are coordinating. They are. They're definitely coordinating. Why do you say that? Because of the timing of it. Because of the timing of it. And because Biden's numbers are slipping further because of his stance on Israel and Palestine. And black people, even if you pay attention to spiritual world, media takeout, black people are not with it they are not with the genocide they're like what are you talking about we do not stand with israel that, that is the majority in the consensus so, online let's just read this off real quick by the numbers uh i guess we'll just move on to the second article because we got into it um without without prompting so by the numbers in a potential presidential rematch biden only scored three percentage points more than trump with 49 percent of the voters supporting him compared to 46 percent Supporting Trump, per a recent national poll from NPR, PBS NewsHour, and Marist. But when Kennedy was factored into the mix, 44% of the voters supported Biden, making a 7 percentage point lead ahead of Trump, who had 37% of the voters backing him, the poll found. So basically, Trump loses 10 points and Biden only loses 5 points exactly. to Kennedy and Kennedy walks away with nearly 15% of the electorate. Exactly. I don't really see that happening, though. And I doubt PBS's numbers because I don't think that Biden is ahead or at three points ahead of Trump at this point. Mm, I, I think that he, you know. We had Trump polling ahead of Biden just like by five points recently. Yeah, 
in this other is, polls. This Israel, this Israel thing has helped him with some conservatives and a lot of racists in the country, for sure, and people who automatically are scared of the the Muslim boogeyman. And they're like, oh, okay. So, you know, he is about war and that. So he's picked up some votes, and I think that you he think is so? passing Trump in that because he's the one that's been on the main stage there. Um, you know, you know, doing the whole bending of the knee thing that he's doing so well. Whereas I see it to it, a lot of people has are taking it as weakness. You know, some people are like, oh, look, he's playing ball. I think it's weakness. Um, and but, you know, I'm not everybody, but I'm telling you that he's doing better in the polls now and to sure it up because he isn't doing good with black and brown voters. This is what I'm I'm this is what I think. This is what my spidey senses are telling me is that he needs someone to carry that water because he's already made his decision, he's made his bed, so he knows that there's going to be some fallout with the black community, some of the brown voters, and so to make that up and to carry him, RFK Jr. will then carry the, take some of that vote away because, oh, you know, you know, black people, we always want a handout. Meanwhile, we're not even the ones that take the biggest handout in the country. And... Furthermore, I think it's a mistake for us to do so because it's a lie and it's a it's a a way to try and again gaslight black voters, brown voters into submission where we don't need to be there because Biden doesn't do what he says he's going to do and he pretty much hasn't done much of anything. Wow. So just bringing in this uh, recent poll that just was uh, results were published a couple hours ago and the reporting is coming from the Hill, a Bloomberg morning consult poll of voters from Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin found Trump leading Biden by four percentage points. Thanks largely to negative views around Biden's handling of the economy. So I think that, uh, yeah, I, I'm really thinking that um, Trump is leading um, as far as a lot of other polls and I'm, I'm more in tune with that. And even, um, yeah, they said that a recent poll in, uh, CNBC's poll recently had, uh, Trump polls, ahead of polls don't win elections. We know this already. Polls can say one thing and it doesn't mean that's the election. It, oh, has, surely, and it has gone to surely, show that the trend surely. has been that many times. I'm telling you based off of what's happening in the world and my spidey senses, because before, even with Biden, when people were like, Biden will never win. He won't be the, you know, the nominee. I said Biden will be the nominee. What I'm telling you right now is he is struggling. Yes, I do believe he's struggling, but I don't think he's struggling to the degree that he was prior to what happened in Israel. I do think that he has gained some kind of a boost here. Whether or not if it's warranted or not, I don't think that it is. I think that there has been a little bit of a boost. And what we're seeing is Donald Trump has kind of like fallen out of the spotlight. There's not as many stories being printed about him. All the stories are about Israel and Biden and this thing that's happening right now. Well, there are a few stories about his... His, uh, his court case. His court case, yeah. But it's not really about his prominence, about his electability. You get what I'm saying? And so that, I mean, if a poll is not saying that, I wonder if the poll is that accurate, honestly, regardless of where it's coming from. And who are they actually polling specifically... I mean, we always get into those questions about... Are they actually polling black people right now? Because yeah. what I'm saying is about black voters specifically and why they would have RFK coming out with this. The thing that I would say is don't waste your vote on RFK. He doesn't have a chance. I mean, if you want to vote for him, go for it. He isn't going to get you reparations, and you don't want him anyway. Because who wants to become the person that, you know, gets everything handed to them by the government? We're not Israel. We're black people. We, we can pull ourselves up our... our by our own bootstraps. We've been doing it for so long. So I just pulled it up for you. I told you. you. I told you. I told you already. I saw it on media. Take out seeing you on spiritual. You looking at what the consensus of what black people are saying. I'm a black person. I've been talking to black people. We're not standing with Israel. We don't stand with what you're saying. And before, even before that, though, it looked like. Even before, yeah, it was getting worse and worse because of the borders. So you have like a border crisis. You're not fixing a lot of where do most of your black people live? In those sanctuary cities that you have all of the migrants coming to. Yeah, you have 2.2 million black people, uh, nearly 10% of the so black population. So what are you doing in, for us? Or 5%. And that, was one of, and that was one of the things people were saying. In too, New York City. Like, what, are we, what are you doing for us? We have people that are starving here in America, and you're sending more tax dollars over where? 
And you think, well, we want is we want is we want some kind of reparation so we can feel like a welfare case. That's not what black people want. You're insulting. That's what it is. It's insulting. Yeah, and it shows that uh, nearly 24% of black voters in this in this poll that we pulled up are not running with Biden, whereas he had only 8% of voters go against him, of black voters go against him in 2020. So what I say? I, the amount of black voters, uh, I guess, Who move, know black people? moving against him is basically one out of four and three times as many as what was before so and i think that this thing probably has shifted it to one out of three possibly yeah it's definitely but, it, it. yeah yeah you i mean this is just what it is and so you know i saw like what is it uh, the public advocate jamani uh w- williams williams yeah. shaming uh what's her guy's name the the rapper what's his name <sighs> i can't think of it right now he he used to be on Jim one of Jones? the no 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 not Jim Jones that was we the talked one about the story yesterday about. yeah no it was the other one uh, he's he has a song he has locks and uh, God Waka Flocka so the rapper oh, yeah. Waka Flocka said he endorsed Donald Trump and he's like oh basically you know what do you call a person like this as if he was like some you know obviously implying he's a sellout it's like look black people aren't a monolith we don't have to vote for Donald Trump I'm not telling you to vote for Donald Trump. But certainly, before you go vote for Biden, why would you? Like, it's my thing. If he's standing with Israel while he they kill black and brown people, why would we stand with that? Like, I don't understand it. Not to mention, what has he done good for us here in America? We're American citizens, and he's given billions and billions of money to white folks in Israel to kill black and brown people. Why are we supporting that? I don't have... There is no amount of understanding to understand that you can't tell me so when you tell me oh this is keeping us from world war three i don't buy it and i don't and i call bull you have our borders overflowing if you care you don't care about people one way or the other you don't care about the migrants coming in here you don't care about the citizens that are having to deal with the lack of leadership in our country that are dealing with the migrant situation. You're not handling the fentanyl crisis. You're not handling the fact that there are people who are now struggling under your economy, regardless of what they say is happening. There are people who can't even put food on the table. I was listening to a a woman recently talk about her not even being able to buy groceries. This is a regular woman who normally has has money, has always had money for her kids. Now she doesn't. Like, people are struggling whether they're black, white, whatever. In the middle of the country, people are struggling. In the cities, people are struggling. And here you are causing another war, spending more U.S. tax dollars to Ukraine and to Israel. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And I think that the, you know, now looking at the numbers, I think it's probably around one-third, I would would estimate. One out of three um, black voters are not going to go for Joe Biden or at least – We'll consider the possibility or consider RFK Jr. Uh, for the moment because I think that some of us will get pragmatic when and it comes gonna, to it. But and he's going to use I the, think lose that, the youth. Yeah. He's losing the white youth, the black youth, the yeah. brown, whatever youth. He definitely is, is, is. The youth vote is cratering on this one topic. And, and not just that. For I'm having about done, student loans. He yeah, didn't do it. Yeah, for having done so much um, to kowtow to um, – the youth vote and, and, and progressivism and then to do this, it kind of like makes no sense at all because you lose that entire vote. And also, who was he really kowtowing to? It wasn't really even the youth vote. He's kowtowing to trans rights. Would you think that all those kids would even be trans if it wasn't for him kowtowing to a bunch of white men who were wearing dresses? Like, let's be really honest about it. You can't really say, who. what has he done to benefit any real group? You can't really, you can't really point it out. Um, it's a hard question. Other than Israel and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And that's not American citizens, and that won't get you votes. But going on. Moving over to local news. Woman critically injured after being pushed into a moving subway train in Midtown. Jesus. There's a manhunt in Midtown as police search for the man. They say pushed a woman off a subway platform into a moving train. Police have identified the suspect as a 39-year-old Sabir Jones. It happened just afternoon on the southbound platform of the 5th Avenue 53rd Street subway stop. As the train was pulling out of the station, station, she was pushed, causing her head to strike the moving train. 
The train departed the station, and then she fell onto the roadbed, onto the tracks. NYPD Chief of Transit Michael Kemper said, Fortunately, there were eyewitnesses and good Samaritans that were on the platform that helped her up back off the roadbed and onto the platform. The 30-year-old victim is in critical condition, having pulled through surgery for head trauma. Oh, wow, she lived. Sources say the 30-year-old woman is from Queens and was on her way to work. Now she's at a hospital fighting for her life. Chopper 2 spotted the injured woman on a stretcher as she was brought out to the ambulance from the station. She was wheeled right past vendor Mohammed El Sherbini, who could not help noticing her injury. She was moving around a little bit, he said. I see a lot of blood coming from the head. Isn't easy. When the young people, ambitious young people, who are just trying to live their lives, are subject to random attacks, we can't put up with it. MTA chair John Lieber said. Platform screen doors now. I mean, I could do report after report on this. We could have a podcast basically just on this topic. Um, just this week, there was a young woman. Uh, first off, my thoughts to, to this young woman that was pushed. And there was a young woman that actually had a medical episode, some kind of epilepsy or something like that. And she fell onto the tracks in Jackson in Jackson Heights. Did she die? Um, I believe so. Oh, that's awful. And her family witnessed it. As the train was pulling in, she had an episode, and she went directly. She had a medical episode, as they're calling it, and she went directly onto the tracks as the train and the train rode over her. Um, it's not rocket science; it's common sense. Um, it's not that this woman wouldn't have been pushed either way, but at least she wouldn't have been pushed into a move a several ton, you know, moving object, starting to speed up to thirty miles an hour, um, and then fall onto you know, fall six feet down to um, hard iron and, and wooden and rocky uh, track bed. Just be pushed into a plastic window or a, a plexiglass window, which I think is much more forgiving. It's getting kind of ridiculous that some, some things get put on the back burner. You know, we talk about bicycle safety. We talk about, you know, all these other, you know, transportation safety issues. And this is the leading one. We literally have people being pushed into the train uh, in front of the tra- in front of the train. And that's a, this is a new one now, too, where they're starting to push them into the moving train, which is I didn't know would be so damaging. But clearly it has because I believe another young woman lost her life or was severely injured the same way with brain injury um, recent earlier in this year. And we can stop this as a city and the thing is is that this is not as if like okay well you know there's a driver that's liable for this pedestrian's life it's wholly on the shoulder of the city and we pay out hundreds of millions of dollars because who do you think is going to the woman here in this case if she if she has any kind of legal advice is going to sue the city for not having put in platform screen doors and win a sizable amount of money for the damage that's been done to her life i know she should right like i mean this is unnecessary um um, praying for this young lady and also for the other lady that uh, lost her life uh, or, her or or was injured. Yeah, praying for them and their their time of grief there. Um, hopefully, this woman here is able to pull through and she's able to regain her, her you know functions, her full functions because brain injuries can be very traumatic. Um, I know a lot of times um, people aren't, uh, I guess, that aware of the trauma like like you said you even mentioned like you didn't think that it would be so crazy if you're getting pushed into a moving train but i'm gonna be <laughs> speaking as someone that took the train very frequently and often um i was terrified of that happening to me and so like you know like the poles that be inside of the subway station mm-hmm. i would often like lock my leg around it in case someone would push me especially at like the broadway junction stop because i would often walk quite a distance to get to work because where i lived in brooklyn is kind of weird to you know get to uh part of jamaica queens for work and so i find myself walking when i get to broadway junction that the the train is outside and the way that it is is kind of like this little uphill portion and there's nothing to secure you while the train comes and there's all kinds of crazies that would be there at that train station specifically and i would always try to find a pole to lock my leg or my arm around just so i wouldn't get pushed because i i knew one day it might happen to me um 
and and it's crazy that you you live through that in the city and you're like god this is normal it becomes something normal practice but i would always do that and if like my mom or you know my sister were in town visiting me i always be like hold on to the pole (laughs) like don't let go of it (laughs) before prior to um you know my train riding uh was two phases there was one when i was working in downtown brooklyn um, from about 2008 till about 2011. And then there was a period when I was younger when I would ride the train, uh, you know, from, I guess, here, sporadically from the ages of like eight or nine, let's say, till, you know, I graduated high school and then I, I moved out of the city. So that would be, um, I guess, a 10 year period. And there was a three year period where a four year period where I rode the train. And in both cases, I was never afraid of getting pushed on the tracks. It's just not something that I guess was reported as much. Um, and it the stop that we had was a relatively uh, Newkirk station. Um, you know, stuff might happen up in the plaza, but as far as on the the actual subway station itself, underground or partially underground because it's partially it has an open air kind of situation. But either way, that's neither here nor there. It didn't feel that dangerous. Oh, okay, well. The Broadway Junction one definitely feels dangerous for me. So anyone out there that takes that train, be be safe, be careful. Any train in the city, obviously. I think, obviously, they've gotten a lot more dangerous in, in the recent years than they were even when I was riding the train. And oh, I, I rode the train from 2012 up until for, to the pandemic, right? So um, for for quite a while there. Eight years, nine years. Yeah, um, and even before that. So I guess, I you know, the first my first experience – and the trains was like 2012. Right. I don't know. It was before so eight, so 20, eight, yeah, eight was, years, yeah, nine years, however you want to count it. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's really sad. And it's something that we need to do as a city. It's not rocket science. It's trains in a tunnel, plexiglass, ropes, something to stop this from happening. Just get them. You need that more than you need bike lanes. And that's the truth. You could say there's millions of people that ride the train. It's not millions of people riding their bike in the city. It's not. Um, and so you you can save a lot more lives if you put millions that in. Millions of people it. per day. Yeah, millions of people per day. You got tourists, all kinds of people that are not riding a bicycle, but they're definitely riding the train. So if you care about, like, transportation alternatives, the number one thing would be getting safety in your train station. Surely. Surely. Let's move it on. Over to Bay Ridge. Ari Kagan outraises Justin Brannon in most recent campaign finance reporting period. The born-again Republican still has a lot of catching up to do after spending much of his war chest on a primary challenge. New York City Councilmember Ari Kagan, the Democrat-turned-Republican, netted over 10000 more in campaign donations than opponent New York City Councilmember Justin Brannon during the most recent campaign finance reporting period. After redistricting, the former fellow Democrats and current colleagues are going head-to-head in the newly formed District 47 in November, and it is expected to be a close race. Throughout July 14th to August 21st, Kagan amassed 16,884 to Brandon's 5,965 in their fight to represent South Brooklyn neighborhoods, including Bay Ridge and Coney Island. According to the latest campaign finance report filed on August 25th, Technically, Brandon took in 7,500 during the period, but ended up returning 1,500. Brandon also said he has almost raised enough to hit the general election spending limit of $207,000. While Brandon, chair of the council's powerful committee on finance and current representative of District 43, has brought in more than Kagan overall with $317,000 raised and $168,000 cash on hand, including matching funds, the last few weeks marked the most newly minted Republican raked in during an, an, any one period of his campaign. Kagan, who currently represents Coney Island and Grayson, has raised 244000 and has 27515 cash on hand. Both candidates have qualified for the city public matching funds program. Brandon has raised more than twice as much as Kagan in private funds. The sizable gulf between the two candidates cash on hand can be attributed to, at least in part to the fact that Brandon ran unopposed in the District 47 Democratic primary. While Kagan faced several Republicans in the June primary, he ultimately defeated them with about 75% of the vote. What do you think? Um, 
I still, I mean, okay, so the district, this isn't a district that I'm super familiar with, to be honest. Um, I don't, there's not many black people out there. Um, Some in Coney Island. Okay, some in Coney Island. Uh, and they may vote for the Democrat, they may not, it depends. Um, in this situation, though, I think that, you know, the matching funds, Justin is still out raising him, so the, the article is really just giving him hype for no reason, I think. You, you still have more matching funds coming from Justin Brandon. He's the incumbent. He's already won elections. He's already showed that he's viable because he's the incumbent. Well, they're both incumbents. Yeah, but he's a party switcher. Ari Kagan is a party switcher for one, so that doesn't necessarily go over that well in New York, uh, if you remember the IDC. Um, and so he didn't just go from being a Democrat. He went from being a Democrat to a Republican, and people treat that like you, you know, stole someone's kidney or something. Um, but I think like the, obviously the, the funds could be attributed to what's happened in Israel. Um, his raising of funds, the extra, this, the surge in funds could be about the Israel situation. Um, him being a Jewish man, um, he may have seen an uptake in his, uh, campaign funds coming from that. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think that that will push him over the edge. Uh, I don't know what the demographics are. If if you you probably have more familiarity with the breakdown is between Democrat Republican there. Um, this is probably one of the few districts that does have a, a sum a, a larger sum of Republicans outside of some parts of Queens and Staten Island. But I still don't think that he takes it. I'd still say that it'll go to Brandon. Um, you said that you said that he had a Democratic Jewish fellow on the doors for him, right? What was it? Right. He. Um, the- I think that Brandon is blowing this race as far as that goes. You think uh, so? Yeah, I really think so. What has so. he come out with that's so bad? Like, I don't really know. I don't follow the guy. I don't know anything it, about it, him. It's, it's the here and there support for progressive measures here and there. Was he, is that he, is he can he be impeached upon. Is he happy hour? I don't know if he if he does. But I think that um, it just it's one of those things that... Uh, it's the hearing their support, bringing in people like uh, Lincoln Wrestler that uh, that definitely don't connect with the average voter in this district. I think that he does. Uh, Trump, in 2016, Trump won the district uh, 59% to 35% against uh, Hillary Clinton. Yeah, but I'm thinking that – I get what you're saying, but I think that it's more about identity versus um, – just whether or not you're a Trump supporter, right? I think that sometimes identity comes into it, and a lot of it would be, you know, Lincoln Wrestler, he's very much a Jewish man. Um, he's got, like, a, a, a decent... Yeah, that's one thing that I was asking you. That's why I asked you that question. Right, I got it. And that's it. that would be the only thing that I would say that would, you know, pretty much pull him over. So you just pulled up the story here about him being a supporter of the Drag Time Happy Hour. So now now you're getting to the good part. See, I, that's what I was asking yeah. you because you know these things. Okay, so the guy, Brandon, is supporting the Drag Time Happy Hour. That may be something that would get him in hot water with this demographic. Because you already said they're more of a, uh, for, uh, the the Trump supporting leaning people. Well, you got Trump supporters in the city, and they still are super progressive compared to out in the country like Texas and Oklahoma and Arkansas. So, but that drag time happy hour seems to be a thing that you know pushes people of all um, you know backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds into the, if you're conservative at all puts you on alert and your your ears perk up and you're starting to wonder like okay what's happening in the schools with my children whether you're asian whether you're you're african-american or you're you know caribbean american or uh some other you know white ethnic you are concerned so that could get him in hot water uh, but i still think that him having that kind of war chest does a lot for him you see that's that's where i differ because i kind of look at it from a point of view that kagan has been on the ground in this new cut district, because there's whole whole half of it that is unfamiliar with Brandon, and he's been oh, okay because this was gerrymandered. Yeah, it was, get uh, into it. it, it it's, it's a it's a new cut district. It's really it's a funny looking district. If How you, much of it is untapped, like compared to the last race? I, I mean, I would say the everything that's outside of like this part right here, like from the pointer down where I'm showing you, it's all new new to who, Brandon. Who did this to him? It's it's the, the deal they made. I, the deal they made and, and and the new cut. So he's up on the chopping block. I feel like because oh. Bay Ridge already is not necessarily a hundred percent behind Brandon, 
And with Kagan spending so much money to, in the area already ahead of time and getting his name out, it's, it's something that I feel like it's a big miss for most Republicans. But Kagan, being a former Democrat, probably has a better idea of this in the city as far as the necessary or the necessity to spend um, in the primary on actually going door to door and things like that. And that's how you pull out a, a 75% victory when you're facing four or five people. Yeah, that's the only way a Republican can win in the city. Okay, so he's put out a lot of money. I wasn't, I guess I didn't even pay attention to that in the report either. Okay, so if he's doing a field game and he is doing the typical Democratic on the ground in the city uh, run of the mill, then yeah, he stands a chance. I was looking at the war chest and I was thinking that he was spending it like a typical Republican spends. And a typical Republican spends on commercials, even though they're running for city council, or they like spend on, you know, like getting this consulting firm that doesn't do anything. Um, they don't typically actually even do a door to door or have like some type of or capacity. Idea about it, yeah. Oh, yeah, they don't really do IDs um, on the door either. Yeah, they don't know what they're doing. Um, typically when it comes to running a campaign in the city. Um, so if he's doing those things, cause he was the Democrat once and he knows how the game is played. Yeah. He possibly could take brand out and brand is making the wrong political choices as far as, Oh, maybe you keep thinking that it's wrong. I think I, I understood what he was doing there. Kind of understand what he was trying to he's not, convey. I mean, but you got to understand wrestler is a, a, yes, he is Jewish, but he's from Williams. I mean, not Williamsburg. From like Greenpoint. From that's where he's from, or is that where he lives now? That's where he represents. Yeah, but that's not where he's from. I, I believe so. Mm, I think he's from here, and he lives there now. Mm, let's is see what I'm saying. Let's see. Let's see. Let's 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 take a quick look. All right, let's do that. Let's take a quick look. No, he's from that district. He's, okay. Okay. I, I think you know that's where that's where he said work. He spent his whole life working, which is also wrong. So he spent his whole career working. That doesn't mean that he's actually born and raised, though. It said. Does it? Yeah. And okay. All right. Right. So he was born and raised in you know Greenpoint or or Vinegar Hill or Williamsburg or Borough Hill or Brooklyn Heights or Dumbo. Right. So those aren't neighborhoods that are necessarily in line it's with. It's not like so far away. It's not Siberia or something. But it, it definitely has a very the the the. I, I would have to say being a secular Jew there versus being a secular Jew, in far Sheepshead Bay end of Midwood as some people would call it. Well, because you're expecting what them to be Russian or something. Well, I think that's what Kagan has going for him. I think that's what Kagan has going for him. I think that that that's a major point. That is, is he Russian? I believe so. I believe so. I believe so. Okay. So you know, it's one of those things that you can't really dismiss. Yes, he is. Um, you know, so it's one of those things that you you just can't look past. Um, he's Belarusian, so he's of uh, oh Belarus. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's one of those things that you can't dismiss. I had Belarusian friends. Okay. That's cool. Um, you know, I'm not going against him. I mean, if he wins, he wins. Good for him. Either way, I, I don't know Brandon. Um, but if he's supporting Drag Time Happy Hour, he probably shouldn't be in office anyway. That's yeah. how I feel about it. Um, so. <laughs> That's just where we're at with that, right? <laughs> yeah, but it's it's. I guess it's exciting. I wasn't really excited. It's not my neck of the woods. I know. I know. It was, I know it wasn't too exciting for you, but. I think that we had to cover it because it's just the most popular. Um, the only race we got going. Yeah, the only race we got going. So we have to talk something about shop as far as that goes. And, you know, I'm going to just. Well, if you need any field help, <laughs> here we are. We can work with you. But <laughs> prefer to work with Ari Kagan, honestly. Okay. So a North Carolina, and this is your WTF story. Groundskeeper mows around dead body after mistaking it for a prop. Police and family say. The body of Robert Paul Owens, 34, was found October 10th face down on the lawn of a residence where no one lived and where law enforcement conducted trainings, his family said. Oh, my God. A North Carolina family is demanding answers after a loved one's body was found face down on the lawn of an empty home where a groundskeeper saw it, mistaking it for a prop dummy and mowed, or mowed the grass around it. The body of Robert Paul Owens, 34, was found October 10th at the abandoned log cabin used for several law enforcement agencies for training on Shoe Road in the small town of China Grove, about 35 miles northeast of Charlotte. 
China Grove Police said. The day before, on October 9th, a groundskeeper saw the body as he was moving, mowing the property, but believed it was a fake dummy used for training, and as a result, didn't report it. A construction worker on the property reported the body to police the next day. Haley Shu, Owen's sister, told NBC News her family is heartbroken that her brother's body wasn't reported sooner. The body was exposed for so long that the family won't be able to have an open casket memorial for him, she said. She remembered her brother as a kind person who adored his nieces and nephews. The family suspects foul play. Shu said her family last saw Owen on October 10th, October 8th, that day, he spent time with a friend, went to a gas station, and got a ride from a friend back to his grandmother's house where he lived. Later, he was picked up by someone to visit another friend, but didn't return home. The abandoned home where he was found is near his grandmother's home. It is property he had never been. To, it is a property he has never been to before, his sister said. She described it as being off the main road, down a long driveway, with woods on either side, and not visible to neighbors. What does that make you think? Feels like one of those true crime episodes to me. It's very peculiar. You're you're kind of blowing it out the park with the WTF stories. It's very sad um, for the family. He's only 34 years. There's a picture of the young man there. Um, it, it it makes me wonder if, given the fact that it was a place that law enforcement used, if there were some type of law enforcement individual that was involved in this, I would have looked at the young man and thought maybe he was someone who wanted to be a cop, but doesn't really get into that in the um, in the article. Right up, yeah, yeah. Um, but I could definitely see that for him. Um, it, it it's very troubling. I mean, what do you do? And the fact that the person thought it was a dummy. I mean, maybe that's something that normally happens on that place, or. You know, when I first saw this story, because it's October, I thought it was that, like, he thought it was, like, a Halloween dummy. Like a scarecrow or something? Yeah, something like that. But, obviously, that's clearly not the case. But um, it's a sad story, uh, nonetheless, um, just not with that twist. Um, but I guess with a more sinister twist in that this might actually be something that involves law enforcement or some kind of, like, you know, accidental killing by someone that knows of this property and considering that this is a property used by law enforcement and you know and the sister highlighted that it's down a long driveway not visible from the road um people most likely don't even know it's there yeah and it seems like they probably won't even be able to find anything out because most of the evidence would have been lost with the amount of time and you know whether or not it rained there um the family says uh, the family was further frustrated to find that there was no crime scene tape or sign of preserving the scene. Yeah, it's like what I was I was reading that already. That's why I okay, was making my my remarks there um, about that. It looks like they didn't preserve the scene. A lot of time has went by. I don't know whether or not there was rain because you obviously know that water will kind of make a lot of DNA go away if there was any there. Um, and that's been a while. I mean, when did when did they actually find the body? It said. I think they found they he went missing on the eighth on the eighth and they found the body. Um, let's take a look on the tenth. On the tenth, they found it. So they mm-hmm. found his body two days later. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they could preserve something. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that they'll be able to get any? Do you think they will be able to draw a conclusion, or is this going to be one of those? Uh, situations that never get solved. I'm not sure that it will be solved because I don't know if they necessarily want to solve it. When you read that line that I had like highlighted and it seems like the police aren't really interested in, in solving it. Yeah, you would think. I wonder if his friend or the buddy that he went out with later was someone that, you know, worked or had, you know, some kind of access to that law enforcement house. It's a lot of things that you can wonder. A lot of questions. Yeah. Well, I hope the family gets some answers, and hopefully they're okay during this grieving period, and definitely praying for uh, them in their time of grief here. Um, but as we come to the end of our episode today, I want to go ahead and thank you for listening, and then hope that you continue to do so. Also, like, rate, review, and subscribe. Got it.